you know, as Christians, we have to understand and, and be real with where we are. That's what we have to see first, individually. And what where our mindset is and what we desire. Airing the Addisons. I think what God is really calling us back to, it's those individual personal revivals in our own lives where we're like, oh Lord, what have we done? We have minimized you. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. As the church, man, we should be on the forefront yes. of making disciples, of indoctrination in godly things. If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's American Family Radio. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And Sherry V is over in Studio CC. And uh, J-Mac is also on tap, Mm -hmm. um, which means you'll probably catch some video there. Um, (laughs) If you go to Facebook and catch some live video, if that's... If you want to, you know. If you want to, if that's your thing. If that's your thing. Um, Anyways, yeah, you can can do that. I know we have a few announcements that we want to get to. And then I wanted to engage in just a little bit of discussion for setup for our guest. Our guest is Jeff Org, who is president of Gateway Seminary. And we're going to talk about his uh, latest book, Shadow Christians, mm. Making an Impact When No One Knows Your Name. Ooh, yeah. And they may not be glad you came. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I do want to talk about that because we talk a lot about um, our celebrity culture, which I think has intensified. Yeah. Uh, our celebrity culture has intensified because of social media and everybody mm. can become mm. or anybody can become, you a know, past. whatever they want. Like <laughs> a prophet. Or... Yeah. <laughs> and, and I was thinking even basically just well known. A star. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. An influencer. And, and so we kind of. Yes. Yes. That's a, a job title. Yes. An influencer. Now. And so I was just thinking about the trouble we get into because. Uh, we start to crave that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I want to make, um, I want to, and excuse the expression, I want to make regular everyday Christianity great again, <laughs> meaning that this is what we're supposed to do so we don't need to be celebrated for it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and so maybe we can talk a little bit about that. But before we do, um, let's make some announcements. Yes. If you want to email us, you can email us at addisons at AFR.net. Addison's A D D I S O N S at AFR.net. You can follow us on uh, Facebook. Just search Aaron Addison's and even on YouTube. I think you can watch this on YouTube as well. So if you look for Aaron Addison's, you can find us there. Subscribe to that page. Uh, also, we have our date night coming up in uh, Hattiesburg, Mississippi. It's going to be August 24th, uh, 6.30 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. It's going to be at the Lake Terrace Convention, Convention Center at one convention center plaza. Say that fast like three times. Uh, <laughs> Hattiesburg, Mississippi, uh, 39401. Uh, the, the attire is casual, so come uh, comfortable. You know, you don't have to wear a three-piece suit and all that, unless that's just your style. That might be comfortable for some people, you know, but right. uh, it's not that kind of deal. Um, we're going to have a, <laughs> a meal, and uh, we're going to talk. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to celebrate marriage. We're going to play a game. It's going to be a lot of fun. So make sure that you register because you need to register by August 17th. Is that right? That's uh, right. You need to register by then because we need to know how many people will be there so we can plan accordingly. So that will be the date night, August 24th, uh, 6.30 p.m. to 7 to 8.30 p.m. in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Man, you know, I got to today, and I'm still not done with it. I started listening to your um, Wednesday's 
with Will episode, not this yesterday, mm -hmm. but last week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. About powerful being delivered like, from sin. And yeah, Amen. man, the the way you laid it out um, and just I think in one of the most honest ways that we can describe being held hostage by sin, mm. uh, that even if the topic of your conversation was not a person's particular struggle. Mm -hmm. I think the struggle with sin, even yeah. um, that, def that definition and, and the way you describe the, the agony and, and mm. even the way, you know, David said he felt it in his body. You yeah. know what I mean, he felt this and boy, I mean, I just, and then the connection that you made to um, the apparent or the seeming powerlessness in the church and, mm. and why we are not seeing, um, as much answered prayer as we could mm. be seeing, mm. why it seems that we don't have the kind of power that was promised mm. to us, right? Um, even at a very basic level, yeah. power to be witnesses. Amen. Amen. No, you're right about that because, you know, sin, it, it has an effect on us. It, I think it makes us weak. It makes mm -hmm. us ineffective. You know, um, there's a lot of guilt and shame, you know, especially yeah. when you are really struggling and trying to, you know. But the thing is, I don't I don't want people to uh, feel like uh, believe that God cannot deliver today. Amen. And, and, right. I, and one point that I was trying to make was some of these things that we see uh, as rising up in the church. And, I, and the example I used was like the whole notion of gay Christianity mm -hmm. is because there's a belief that God cannot totally deliver from sin. You know, mm -hmm. that you can just be that way. We, we make allowances and, and, you know, make those things comfortable. Hey, you can be this way. And, mm -hmm. and, and that, that's what any saying, you know, God can deliver whatever it may mm -hmm. be. And, um, and so that there is hope, there is hope. And so I'm, I'm hoping that that's what came across, that there is hope that God still delivers and we can, you know, seek that we can desire that and ask God for that. Yeah. On an upcoming show, um, we have a, a podcast only show by design podcast only show uh, that AFR offers and it is facilitated or hosted by various hosts mm -hmm. um, on any given week. And hopefully people will will uh, search for that and find it. But on a, on a show coming up, we'll talk about this from a marriage perspective mm. um, and how revealing this in a marriage mm -hmm. and how navigating this in the marriage um, affects intimacy. And then how even the, the victory over this yes. uh, restores intimacy. But it, it can be a bit of a battle before yes. you before you get there. So, yeah. so we'll talk about that. And, um, because again, I think this is also one of the reasons why there's so much trouble and turmoil in our marriages That's as right. well. That's right. Um, man, just some of the stats you were giving. Yeah. It's, yeah. they were chilling. Will they yeah. were chilling. Oh yeah. my goodness. So anyways, um, but that's, I, I just, I was listening to it today earlier and, um, I just, I understand why you've gotten such a response to that particular program yeah. Um, because it was a powerful program. So Praise God. anyways, uh, all right, let's talk about shadow Christianity. And this yes. is something that I wanted to throw out to you because I know that when we were missionaries to mm -hmm. university students, um, you facilitated a group yeah. that where you discipled Christians mm -hmm. in service. Yeah. And yeah. they would have been considered shadow Christians. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. So yeah. so kind of let's let's talk about that. And I, mm -hmm. I want you to go back and describe mm. how you described this ministry that the Lord um, had called them to and was using them in. Yeah. Yeah. When we were doing a campus ministry, you know, I was uh, on staff 
at that point, I think I had finished my internship and everything, and uh, they put me over what was called the impact team. And so this was the first uh, ever impact team in that ministry, you know, and they put me over it. And basically, these were the students who didn't feel called to lead Bible studies or didn't feel like they could teach. That wasn't their gifting, but they could serve in uh, various capacities. And, man, I was so happy to lead that team Mm -hmm. because I felt like the Lord gave me uh, I I would meet with them uh, every week. And I felt like the Lord gave me uh, um, some things to to work with them on, to teach them, to show them how important uh, it was for them to do their job and what what they were called to do in the ministry and that without them, man, a lot, a lot of things would fall, you know, a lot of things would, would not happen, you know? And so the Lord really laid upon my heart to really begin to teach them uh, from the book of Acts about the deacons, about the ones that were selected. And these men were full of the Holy spirit. Like they, it it wasn't like they were, you know, there were no second string Christians or they can't do anything. So we're just going to have them wait tables. No, these were, Powerful, powerful men. And one, Stephen, you know, was even the first martyr, you know. And so I taught them each and every uh, week an aspect of serving. And, man, you know, I felt like that that was just a great I I love doing that because Mm -hmm. I I felt like I saw before my eyes uh, students being empowered to do to do what they were doing. You know, that it wasn't this comparison thing. Well, I can't do this. I'm not really that valuable. Or, you know, I can't I don't feel like I can teach and speak. So I'm not as valuable as this next student, this other student. But I felt like they really embraced that and was like, man, I'm going to do my job. I'm going to do my part. Every joint supply. So Mm -hmm. uh, that was the impact team. And man, I I tell you, it was a a great experience, not only, um, you know, just leading that, but just for me personally uh, and, and, and being over that team and and really empowering the students to, to live according to what God had called them to do. Even down to making disciples, which I think is hugely important because sometimes we think that people who only have a teaching gift or some of the more, Mm -hmm. you know, out front gifts that that people tend to be drawn to, generally speaking, we tend to think that only those people are supposed to make or even are expected Mm. to make disciples. Mm -hmm. And that just isn't true. Right. Every believer should be making disciples, should be training, should be talking at at the very minimum. There should be an iron sharpening iron effect where if you are growing in the Lord, then you're also in contact with Christians who may be um, at a different place in Mm -hmm. their growth, Mm -hmm. right? In their maturity. And so that you're sharpening them. But I think that's one of the things that when we talk about the various gifts that we have in the body, a person who is called to service Mm -hmm. and maybe not an out front gift. Yeah. uh, Often I think that that's diminished by the church as a whole. Yeah. And and I wonder what your thoughts on, and and we can can ask our brother when he gets on as well, but how did we get here to where, we could only value yeah. and pour into those out front yeah. public ministry gifts. You know, I, I really do think and, and this may not this may not be all of it, but I think part of it is we've embraced the worlds and the cultures um, idea of what's important and what's mm-hmm. valuable. And so mm-hmm. if if we live in a in a uh, celebrity culture, a culture where, you know, we want to go after the, the best people, the the, the, uh, the brightest or whatever may yeah. be, whatever the thing may be. I think that has been a part of the church as well. Like these people can do this so we can use them this way and they're more attractive in this way. So more people will be will come to us because 
we put these people out front in it. Yeah. And that's a, a worldly way of looking at things. You know, when I look at first Corinthians chapter 12, you know, and I know it's talking about spiritual gifts, but it also goes into, you know, um, the parts of the body and how, you know, the importance of each part, you know? And so the thing is, I think we have embraced a lot of times the mentality of the world and brought that into the church. And so we uh, put value and worth on certain giftings, you know, uh, that may be out front and things like that, you know, rather than the character that can be built there, that that's built there or, you know, other attributes that a person may have. And that's, that's a sad thing. It is a sad thing. And I'm thinking even and I want to again, I'm going to explore this and I want to unpack this as we go through the show. But I think it's really kind of tragic that we have, I, I think, from a mom level, right, or on a mom level, that we have moms who feel like what they're doing at home is not valuable mm. to the body of Christ, that they're, mm-hmm. quote unquote, just at home with their mm-hmm. kids, mm-hmm. or they are just doing this. And and I'm, right. I'm like, can we just remove the just? <laughs> right. Like, can we, can we right. acknowledge that God has built and sustained and multiplied and grown mm. the body through the service of mothers mm. to their children, that this yeah. is biblical. It is the right expectation of moms. But I think it's because of this, um, I guess this phenomenon that we have in the church that we have shadow Christians. And then we have the Christians who are kind of well-known. And mm. even as a mom, I think for a mom to be applying the Bible to daily living that is and how she uh, loves and cares for her husband and her children and Mm. is keeping her home. I think once you find a Christian mom who is doing that, then inevitably if she's doing that well, meaning for the glory of God, someone is going to approach her and say, you need to start a blog. Mm. (laughs) You need to start chronicling this. You need to, in other words, you need to turn it into some iteration of celebrity. Like people need to know that you're doing this because just doing this at home is not enough. Now, to be fair, to be fair, Mm -hmm. there are some people who want moms to do this because they genuinely believe it will be a blessing to other people to read it and to see it. And, And that that's great. That's great. But I think more often than not, the the push or the pull is, man, you could. You can right. turn it into, you know right. what I mean? Man, you're because right. we you're don't right. value working for the Lord in anonymity. Mm. We don't value that. And and man, if we could get back to valuing that, I think that we might not be um, duped mm. or misled as much in the church. I think you're because right. Because we wouldn't be so given to celebrity. I think you're right. Anyway, our brother will help us unpack all of this. This is Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. Today, we're going to be talking about shadow Christians. Hopefully, you'll stay right there. We'll be right back. Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in hell, let's obey this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to say to long back welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio appreciate you spending this hour with us as we navigate cultural issues through a biblical lens um, I'm Miki and I'm Will and that's Anthony Evans with In Christ Alone all right. So today we're talking about shadow Christians. Yes. And um, I, I hope at in, in some way encouraging the vast majority of the body of Christ, because mm. is it safe or fair? And, and our brother will tell us this. Yeah. 
But I think it's pretty safe to say that that's who most of us are. Like yeah. shadow, just just doing what the Lord has called us to do. I, I think that that's the majority, right? But yeah, I would agree. Often probably unacknowledged. Yeah. So, okay, so we'll talk about that. Joining us right now to discuss his book, Shadow Christians, Making an Impact When No One Knows Your Name, is Jeff Org, who is president of Gateway Seminary, a learning network with five campuses and a robust distance learning program. He speaks frequently on leadership and pastoral ministry issues in conferences and classroom settings. Org also maintains a leadership website at uh, jefforg.com. And the spelling of that name is I-O-R-G, I-O-R-G. Um, you can go to jefforg.com. And he's also featured on the Lead On podcast and has written or edited several other books. We can talk about that um, as time allows mm -hmm. as well. Uh, Brother Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me on the program. I'm doing great. Awesome. All right. So Shadow Christians, uh, what <laughs> prompted you or what was either the challenge or the provocation for writing the book for the believers who nobody really thinks about? <laughs> two, two things really flowed together to write, to cause me to write the book. First of all, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is in Acts chapter 11, where the church at Antioch started. Mm. And the church at Antioch was perhaps the most significant church in the New Testament world. And really, the impact of what happened there rolls down through even today. So that church has been very important to me over the years. And as I was studying its founding, uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 19 says, Some men from Cyprus and Cyrene arrived and planted the church. And one day I was reading that, and I just laid my Bible down and said out loud to God, <laughs> some men that they couldn't even get their name in the book. I mean, <laughs> these guys started the most important church maybe in church history. Come on. And they didn't get their name in the paper. I wow. was like, what, what's up with that? And yeah. so that was the first time I really started thinking about the anonymous heroes of the Bible. And then... That led me to do a Bible study just in the New Testament. I had to limit it to that. But I started studying every New Testament story where someone did something consequential, but their name wasn't included. Now, look, there's a lot of names. I think one person counted over 150 names in the New Testament. I mean, there's a lot of names. But there is a lot of stories where the people are not named. Mm. And... I started asking why, why so many anonymous people in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament? So that was one, one a source of the book. And then the other source, I've been a leader a long time. And I learned along the way that while I can cast vision and have big ideas until dozens or hundreds of people start putting feet to those ideas, mm -hmm. those visions don't become reality. Mm -hmm. And I've learned over the years to have a profound appreciation uh, for the shadow Christians in my organization and in my church who no one ever notices or gives any recognition. They don't write a blog. Their name's not in the, in the news. They're not on the website. They, they're just unknown. But yeah. yet they are the reason God's kingdom advances. So those two things flowing together motivated me to write the book, Shadow Christians, Making an Impact When No One Knows Your Name. Mm, this awesome. is good. I think even as you're unpacking that, um, Jeff, I think that you are defining shadow Christians for us. You know, I, I don't think that people maybe would have um, described it that way, even as a term. Mm. But I think many yeah. people feel that way, that they are operating sort of 
in the shadows, out mm. of the light. And so it, is there an additional definition for that? Because I think your motivation for writing the book almost defines what a shadow Christian is. Well, you've nailed it exactly. A shadow Christian is someone who works outside the spotlight in the dimly lit edges or in the shadows of ministry and is busy working hard to make that to, to fulfill the, the larger vision of the, or the larger mission of the church or the organization where they're serving. And though, uh, so shadow Christians are people who work outside the spotlight. But here's something I kind of came to a little later in the book. You know, I, I once went to India with a group of students on a mission trip. And I, long story, but I, I had to travel separate from the group. And I got there about three hours before the rest of the group did. So I was alone in India for about three hours, totally alone. And I remember thinking, there's a billion people here and no one knows my name. In fact, no one even cares I'm here. And so I realized that every one of us can assume the role of a shadow Christian in different settings than mm -hmm. where we normally live and work. Mm -hmm. So the book really can apply to everyone, but I wrote it mainly for the people who work on the parking lot on a Sunday at a service, for the people who work in the preschool, uh, for the people who drive the buses to youth camp. Uh, I wrote it for the people like, who are sitting in your studio right now running all the equipment who don't get their voices <laughs> on the radio. Those shadow Christians that make you guys so successful. Oh, come on, That's who Jeff. I wrote the book for. Yeah, yes. that's, that's who I wrote the book right. for. And look, and, and Sherry B and Jeff just went, yeah. This, this book is, this is our show. We've been waiting for you to do a show where you celebrate us. But okay, so here's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering if we even have this um, phenomenon of maybe a little bit of... Um, and I don't know, maybe you can help me unpack this. Is there discontent or the, the feeling of being overlooked or undervalued because we have misunderstood the way the church is supposed to operate? Mm. Is there a way that the church is supposed to operate where we are supposed to actively understand that every joint supplies? Absolutely, yes. I think that, that there's a biblical, and I write a chapter in the book on theological uh, underpinnings, if you will, of this concept of shadow Christians. Mm -hmm. And you've hit on one, which is so vital, and that is in Corinthians. Mm -hmm. uh, Paul wrote and said that the, I love the King James Version here, the unseemly members mm -hmm. are so yes. valuable. <laughs> the things that don't get noticed. And uh, yeah. I, I, just a quick personal story. In 1995 uh, or 1994, I was diagnosed with cancer. Mm. And as a result of my surgeries, I lost the function of a little gland in my neck called parathyroid. And up until that moment, I'd never even heard of parathyroid. Okay. <laughs> well, your parathyroid control your body's absorption of calcium, which is vital for nerve transmission, heart and lung function, and of course, bone structure. Mm -hmm. Well, my body doesn't absorb calcium anymore, mm -hmm. not spontaneously or not naturally. So I have to take calcium tablets every morning and every night just to keep calcium leaching into my system through my intestines. And I've done this for 25, 30 years. Hmm. The reason I have to take those pills every morning and every night is because these little tiny glands about half the size of a pea don't work anymore in my body. And so something I'd never heard of, didn't even know I had, had no clue what the, what it had its function. It went away and I had to be monitored and medicated all my life because of that. Mm -hmm. And this is the way the church functions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's great to have the eyes and the ears and the mouth. It's great to have that on a Sunday morning on the platform. But what really makes a church go on a Sunday is the preschool workers, the ushers, the parking lot people, the security people. What really makes a church go on a Sunday is the people who came and cleaned the building on Thursday and mowed Come the grass on, on Friday. Yeah. 
That's what really makes it happen. Now, I'm not diminishing leadership. Look, I, I'm a president of a seminary. I train leaders. That's my daily job. I'm not diminishing leadership. I'm simply saying that good leaders recognize early on that until their followers put feet to their vision and mission, nothing substantial is really going to happen. Yeah. And so it's that what you said is the it's the church really doing its work and <clears throat> highlighting or magnifying what the shadow Christians accomplished. That's that's really so vital. When you when you look at um, church history, like if we were to do a quick survey of church history beginning in the first century of the church, do you think that it was and remains common for the church to struggle with celebrity? I, I'm thinking of Paul addressing the Corinthians when they're talking about who they follow. You know what I mean? They're yes. talking about who's like their like guy of the hour. It seems that that's. Yeah almost a part of like our history that we're kind of drawn yeah. to our great orators and, and who we appreciate listening to. Um, how, how do we overcome that? Well, first of all, there, this has always been a problem, as you said, from the new Testament on through today, factionalism, personality driven movements, uh, idolization, if you will, or making idols out of leaders. It's always been a problem. There has to be a balance. God says that the leaders he gives to the church are actually gifts from him. Hmm. So remarkable leaders, great speakers, fantastic organizers, people with a visionary capacity to start movements and organizations. These are people, these people are a gift from God and they're essential uh, to the function of God's kingdom, God's church and the organizations and everything else that make up the kingdom. But they aren't everything. That's what I'm trying to say in the book. Man, leaders are valuable, but leaders are only really valuable in the sense that they catalyze these movements of people who, frankly, pay the bills, give the offerings and get the work done that makes our lives possible. So, you know, one of the things that I've tried to do as a leader, especially in the last, say, 10 years of my leadership, is put more emphasis on the people who follow me by expressing gratitude to them giving them recognition for what they do. And what I've discovered is most shadow Christians uh, don't want a lot of recognition and they're, they're not asking for um, any particular expressions of gratitude, but everyone is encouraged by those things. Mm. And so what I encourage leaders to do is give gratitude, give appreciation, give acknowledgement, let people know how much they're appreciated and how valuable they are rather than just making it all about the leader and his vision or her mm -hmm. uh, her mission or whatever the leader's trying to communicate. That's interesting what you just said when, when you're thinking about shadow Christians and how they don't necessarily want the accolades. They, they are, in some instances, that may make them uncomfortable. I'm wondering if there is a certain personality type that tends to overwhelmingly be the personality of the shadow Christian or is the personality, um, the temperament of the shadow Christian as varied as, you know, the person who's a shadow Christian. Have you observed that there's a certain personality type that tends to hang out in that space? Not necessarily a certain personality type. For example, we have uh, quite a few people who work here at the seminary and uh, most of them I would put in the class of shadow Christians. And among those people are introverts, extroverts, uh, people that are various kinds of personality, depending on how you type those out. Uh, so I think per shadow Christians can really come from all uh, personality types or all perspectives. But here's the one thing they all have in common. 
they've all come to grips with the reality that the essence of Christian uh, activity and participation is service. Mm. They aren't trying to get something out of it for themselves. They aren't trying to accomplish something that draws attention to themselves. They really do take Jesus seriously what Jesus said, that the greatest among you is the servant of all. And so no matter what their personality type, the one commonality is a commitment to service and highly valuing service. And that may take any of a various kind of different forms, but it all comes back to that kind of a spirit of service that people have. Is that is that something that is taught? Is, is that something that people just... Um and I say naturally arrive at, but um, this presumes people understand that we've been given a new nature in Christ. But is that something that is innate to the new believer? Um, or do you have to be taught to understand service? It's both. First of all, it is something that comes to us as a motivation that is part of our new birth experience and our new way of looking at life and our, 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 our new nature, if you will, in Christ. So it is partly that. But let's also understand that we all have to get past our own pride, work through our own ego needs, mm. get past uh, wanting to have attention and attraction, mm-hmm. and really learn to serve. And so, for example, when I first started out in ministry leadership, uh, I committed my life to being a pastor and a preacher. And uh, My pastor, who was my mentor, said, that's fantastic. We need to get you started. And I thought, oh, good, I'm preaching on Sunday morning. And he said, uh, I didn't say that out loud, but you kind of think that when you're young and prideful. (laughs) But he said, we need to get you started. And I thought, okay, great. And he said, the last uh, Sunday of every month, our church leads a worship service at a local nursing home. You're in charge of that. So for several months, I went and preached at this nursing home. And the people were in various stages of coherence, and I wasn't sure anything really was happening. So after a few months of that, I went back to the pastor and said, uh, I'm not sure this is accomplishing anything. He said, oh, yes, it is. He said, you need to practice and you need to be there. Mm. It's accomplishing what it's set out for. Wow. And I realized now that back on it that he was not only giving those persons some means of access to the word of God and those who were able to draw from what I was saying, some strength and, and, and direction. But he was mainly saying, okay, young man, uh, if you're not willing to go preach there, you're not ready to preach anywhere. Mm. So you go where you're assigned and you do what you're told and, and then you'll grow. And I did. And, uh, and I eventually came to a place long ago. People always ask me, well, how do you decide where you speak? Because now I get far more invitations than I can accept. And I always say, I go where I'm invited in the order that my calendar allows. And I don't ask how many people or how big of a place or anything like that. I, I, just, I just don't think that's what my servant's perspective needs to do. So, yeah, it's partly grown, it's partly born in us, in our relationship to God through Jesus. But it's also something we have to learn along the way, where we come to value service and see it as an expression of discipleship and not uh, not something that we have to do because we're forced to or have to. Wow. You know, I, I, I really think, and I always, I, I look at these things and I think, man, if we could broaden our understanding of this, if we could... Um, <laughs> make training and discipleship in service in areas of service if we could if we could make that great again um (laughs) that would be awesome in the church if we could see sort of a return to understanding the value and the heart behind um being great because you serve right being being a great servant and and unfortunately we don't make as much of that as we should 
I want to grab the break. And when we come back on the other side of the break, I want to look at some of the biblical examples of shadow Christians. Our guest is Jeff Org, and we're talking about shadow Christians. This is Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. We'll be right back. so much for listening to Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. We really do appreciate you. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and that's Trimble Mosaic MSC. Today we are talking with Jeff Org, who is president of Gateway Seminary. He's also the author of the book, Shadow Christians, Making an Impact When No One Knows Your Name. Making an Impact When No One Knows Your Name. And I think this is really cool. If we could take a few moments and highlight some of the shadow Christians that we meet in scripture, which I fear may take them out of the shadows, <laughs> but at the risk of doing it, uh, Jeff, can we, can we talk about some of the shadow Christians in the Bible that maybe in our reading, we didn't recognize that we were encountering shadow Christians. I'd love to do that. I've got some that are my favorites. Uh, I'd love to talk about those. Or if you've got one or two, you want to ask about, we can do that as well. <laughs> sure. I'll no, no, you go right you ahead. Go yeah, you go right ahead. <laughs> I'll go first, yeah. One of my favorites is uh, this story. Jesus said to his fellows, uh, go into town, get a donkey, bring it back. I'll ride it into town later. When you when you get there, the fellow's going to say, well, what are you doing? And just say, the, the Lord, the, the master has need of this. Hmm. <laughs> and I thought, Jesus knew there was a donkey. He knew where it was. He knew who owned it and he knew who, what that guy was going to say, but he couldn't tell him his name. He couldn't say, look for Joseph or look for Jacob or look for Samuel and he'll give you the donkey. No, this had, this man remained anonymous because Mm. this wonderful gift that was given to Jesus, this mode of transportation to bring him into the city and fulfillment of prophecy was provided by an anonymous man. Mm. No one will ever know his name. And yet when the disciples got there, that's exactly what happened. He asked the exact question and Jesus did similar, similar time frame. Another one of my favorites, Jesus said, go into town, find a, a room that's fully furnished and ready for us to celebrate the Passover together and uh, tell them that, that we're coming and that the master needs the room. And when they got there, that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Now, one of my New Testament professors here at the school told me, that was actually an extravagant gift because during the Passover, Jerusalem was packed. There were no inns. There were no restaurants. There were no hotels. There were, it was all just book solid. And for this to be given for this purpose was an extravagant gift. And the extravagance of it is lost on, it is not lost on me, but the fact that a person gave it, his name never made the story mm-hmm. just strikes me as significant. And so on and on, I can go like this with just story after story after story of people that uh, Jesus encountered or Jesus talked about or he healed or he met. And they're so consequential. And we hear sermons on these stories all the time. Yeah. But we never really think about the fact that once more, just an anonymous person that made such a dramatic contribution. Wow. 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 So I want to ask you, so technically a shadow Christian would be someone who whose name is not even mentioned. Or would it be somebody like, because I'm thinking about like uh, Epaphras. His name is 
mentioned. And but you see that he did some great work even in uh, uh, Colossae, you know, yes. with the with the uh, Colossians. Um, but it, it's almost like he established that church, you know, um, and you hear a lot of sermons preached from that book from Paul. But uh, he would be one that I would consider maybe because he's named, maybe he's not a technical uh, shadow Christian. <laughs> but would he, you know, be one that that could be one? OK, that's going to be your book. You're going to get the right back. Okay? <laughs> uh, you know, when you write a book for length sake and other reasons, <laughs> you have to just make some choices. And so we decided when we were doing the research here, I decided we're not going to include anyone in the story whose name is mentioned. OK, we're just wow. going to stick with the anonymous people. Now, okay. you're making a great point. There are characters in the New Testament who are only mentioned once or maybe twice. Mm -hmm. And I, I've preached a, a short series of sermons once on some of these people, and they did remarkable things. Yes, I would say they worked in the shadows. No question about that. Mm -hmm. And they could qualify, if you will, in that capacity. Yeah. Uh, but but the book I wrote limited itself uh, just by the nature of just trying to get it to a manageable length yeah. to just the anonymous people. Gotcha. Now, let's, okay, so we're talking about anonymity, and this was something I kind of touched on with Will the Great before um, we had you on, Jeff, but I, I'm wondering if there are any words of encouragement or maybe just some helpful reminders that you might um, offer to moms uh, and dads mm -hmm. who mm -hmm. are discipling their kids, they're raising their children for the mm -hmm. glory of God, they are passing on the baton. Um, I, often, I think that as shadow Christians, they are overlooked mm. and their contributions are often unacknowledged. But these things are incredible, the contributions that they're making to the body of Christ. Yes. Well, I could talk about the, the moms or the dads, but I'll just focus on the moms for a minute. Mm -hmm. Every Christian mother is a shadow Christian in her family and mm -hmm. in her community. Mm -hmm. She is cooking meals, helping with learning how to read, supervising uh projects for school. Mm -hmm. She is uh, washing clothes and changing diapers and taking <laughs> care of sick kids and mm -hmm. staying up late and getting up early. And frankly, doing it most of the time with almost no recognition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's maybe her birthday or Christmas or Mother's Day or maybe in a kind moment her, her child will say thank you or her husband will remember to encourage her. But listen, it, moms that are listening to this program today, thank you for being in the shadows, making such a profound difference in the lives of your children. Mm -hmm. And often it seems like a thankless task, but nevertheless, uh, it is making the generational difference for Christianity to make sure that we have a new wave of believers yes. coming after us. Amen. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I say the same thing about the dads, but I just focused on the mom. No, that's good. Very good. No, I'm so <laughs> glad that you did, because that's one of the things that I feel like we don't stress enough. I mean, look, our, yeah. our ministry, our organization is an activist organization. We are constantly talking to Christians about the Lord calling us to occupy. And so um, inevitably, we're going to get the question that a mom is going to say, well, I'm just at home or I'm just doing this. Mm. What can I do? And one of the things that I feel like we cannot stress enough is that you're doing it. You yeah. are there with your kids. You are pouring into them. You are training them in godliness and righteousness. Then you are doing the work. Jeff, I love the let me, example. Let me say something. Can I say something else about that? Yes, please do. Uh, watching, watching my wife over the years, uh, she's helped me so much with this, and she teaches this to other young women especially. Uh, life has seasons, and especially for young mothers, there's a season when it just seems like your entire life is centered on 
uh, children and yes. all that goes with that. And that's a shadow Christian phase of life to be sure. Yes. But as that phase ended for my wife, she started uh, being asked to speak and to teach and to take more public leadership roles in our church. And as she's matured into really an older woman now in our church uh, and in our seminary community, she's looked to for all kinds of leadership that's not in the shadows any longer. She's mm. really out front more than she ever wanted to be or ever intended to be. So I would say, don't be discouraged if you have a 10 or 15 year period of life where you think, man, will I ever get out of this shadow of just spending all my time doing these quiet things? I want to teach. I want to lead. I want to do more. There's a season of life where that's going to be possible for you. It just may not be right now. Mm. Mm, that's so good. And that is so encouraging. I love the example that you use in the book. And this might be a great segue from this, uh, where you talked about for your for your wife, you talked about the dirty work of the shadow Christian, but you began with an illustration. Yeah. How yeah. for your wife, you know, if the kid were to become sick, that was sort of she was out and that was your job. Um, yeah, but she could handle yeah. the dirty diapers and you were kind of like, I'm not doing the diapers. And so you guys kind of had an agreement that you could, you know, each work to handle yeah, both, both ends, so to speak, of the children. Yes, we did. Um, well, I changed I changed some diapers along the way. Let's don't let, let don't make it <laughs> that I wasn't willing to help at all. But but my wife had just uh, 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 just like a almost a physical aversion. Let me just put it plainly to uh, a vomiting child. It was just like she just couldn't take it. Yeah, and I yeah. didn't really like it either. But, you know, I said, you know what? I can step in on that. I, I can do that. It's teamwork. And, uh, and yeah, it was. And so, <laughs> but my point in the book is somebody's got to clean up the vomit and somebody's got to change the dirty diapers. I mean, I that is no just, one, no it, one's that is right just the yes. way life works. Somebody's got to do the dirty work. And yeah. I wrote a chapter in the book on uh, shadow Christians do the dirty work. And I just talked about the dirty work of families, the dirty work of church, the dirty work of ministry. You know, somebody's got to do that stuff. And shadow Christians are the ones who get it done. Hmm. Jeff, how does God use shadow Christians? Um, maybe, you know, unpack that. What, what is it that we don't understand about God's use of shadow Christians? Well, if I asked both of you to tell me your story, this is, I predict what it would be like, because it's my story. If you say, Jeff, who influenced you and who shaped you? I wouldn't name people that you've ever heard of before. Mm -hmm. That came way later in life because, mm -hmm. you know, as I've developed ministry responsibilities and looked for ministry. Uh -oh. I think we Did we lose Jeff? Oh, I my goodness. So. I, can I, I, I'm still oh, here. Oh, okay. Oh, Go do ahead. we still? Okay, Something please happened. carry on. I felt like <laughs> this was going to be such a great point. Okay. Yeah, no, no, no. I, it's okay. I, my computer blipped, but I'm back now. So, All right. sorry. So, but who influenced me the most? I mentioned some of these people in the book. Um, a man like E.Y. Washam was a retired carpenter who taught me in Sunday school as a 12-year-old boy, and he was a really bad teacher. Oh, man, <laughs> so boring. But he would come to my house about once a month and visit me and encourage me and pray for me. And he would have me along with our whole class over to his house, like during college football to watch a game on a Saturday. His wife made these little marshmallow cookie things. And we would eat those and just laugh and watch football. E.Y. Washington changed my life. And I think mm -hmm. about people like Burtis Williams and E.Y. Washington and uh, Andy Hogue and uh, Ken Dethridge and just men like this who who Mike uh, uh, Reed, Jim Hardwick, men like this who 
they've most of them never been known outside their small circle of their church. But when I was a boy, I, I didn't grow up in a Christian family. So my church men took me in and just cared for me and loved me and prayed for me and supported me. And those guys are the ones who shaped and changed my life. And wow. so shadow Christians make a profound impact in that, in the lives they change by the quiet ministries they do. Just one quick story. A number of years ago, our church reached a family that really was in deep poverty. They lived in a pasteboard shack. They stole their electricity off a power pole. We found them, led them to faith in Christ, and uh, they started coming to everything at our church, including uh, their daughter, who was about 11 or so, started coming to my wife's missions class on a Wednesday night for girls. Well, my, my wife taught her for a few, two or three years, and we tried to help this, these children to think about life being better than they had experienced up until then and giving them a vision for how they could go forward. But then I eventually left that church and moved to the West Coast and started my ministry here. About six or eight years later, we got a thing in the mail that looked like an invitation. It seemed a little unusual. So we opened it and it was an invitation from that little girl. She was graduating from Iowa State University with a degree in journalism. And she wrote my wife and said, you helped me to see that, that there was a bigger world out there and that I could find my place in it. And you gave me the courage to press on. And now I'm graduating from college. And I know you probably can't come, but I'd really like for you to come if you can. Mm. And my wife just, you know, obviously deeply emotionally moved by that, by that invitation. And I said, you know, Ann, you never, you never really know the difference you're making in the life of a child in mm. something as simple as a Wednesday night missions class. And so shadow Christians are changing the lives of people. They just may not see it all in the moment, may come five years later, may come 10 years later. But, you know, a shadow Christian who no one who will ever know led me to faith in Jesus 50 years ago. Little did he know that night he was leading a seminary president to the Lord. You never know. You never know. And so wow. shadow Christians make a big difference. Wow. Oh, man, this is so good. I hope man. I really hope that this is encouraging. It's encouraging yeah, to me to, me like, to understand. And, and may the Lord grant us the patience, um, the patience of the farmer to be able to wait yeah. to see the harvest for all mm. that we are planting and all that we are doing, because it does take time. And we don't know um, what's on the other side of our obedience to God and mm. simply doing those <laughs> faithful things. That And this is kind of where I want to come to land. Our culture, even our church culture, normalizes celebrity. So we rarely get to the place where we are able to honor and to even, excuse the word, celebrate shadow Christians. Jeff, in, in the minute that we have, how do we change that in our church culture? Or can we even change that? We absolutely can change it and we must. And one of the things I included in my book is at the end of every chapter, there's an eight question discussion guide. The book is actually written not only for a person to read, but for a small group to discuss and use as a curriculum and to really study and change their perspective on ministry. And then the second thing we can do besides this kind of study that changes perspective by looking at the Bible in a new way. The second thing we can do is leaders like me and other pastors and others who are listening to this program Take the initiative to magnify the work your shadow Christians are doing. It doesn't have to be a big banquet. It doesn't have to be a big check. Sometimes it can be a, a plaque or a certificate or even just a word of encouragement from a, in a public setting. That's what shadow Christians need to be magnified and for leaders to keep their focus where it really belongs on the people who are doing God's work. Shadow Christians, Making an Impact When No One Knows Your Name. Our guest today is the author of that book, Jeff Org. Jeff, I would imagine that the book can be purchased wherever fine books are purchased, correct? 
It can be purchased anywhere. It's also in an ebook format, I think even in an audiobook format. So it's out there everywhere, Amazon, Lifeway, all the places that sell books. You can learn more also by going to jeforg.com. The name is spelled I-O-R-G, jeforg.com. All right, well, I, we are out of time for today. We'll be back with you tomorrow and we're gonna give away a copy of this book. So until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.